So there's lots of challenges. I think ultimately the goal is to set these goals reasonably so that they don't disincentivize an individual for wanting to achieve something. Welcome to the Executive Compensation Podcast. On this show, we discuss all aspects of executive compensation. Whether you're a compensation committee member, a seasoned compensation professional, or just curious to learn more about executive compensation, this show is the answer. Each episode brings you a focused and actionable interview on specific topics of executive compensation. This episode is brought to you by Meridian Compensation Partners. Meridian works with compensation committees to ensure the most effective processes are in place to go beyond mere compliance with governance requirements and create healthy, dynamic relationships between the board, management, and its advisors. Meridian helps boards use compensation to attract and retain critical talent and to make informed business decisions that will link pay and performance, drive business results, increase shareholder value, and mitigate potential risks. Learn more at meridiancp.com. Well, welcome to this episode of the Executive Compensation Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Harvey, and today we'll be talking with Tom McNeil and Tracy Glassell. Tom's a partner in Meridian's Woodlands, Texas office, and Tracy is also a lead consultant in that office. Both Tom and Tracy have decades of experience working with compensation committees and corporate management teams. They work with clients across a diverse set of industries. However, both of them have very deep experience working with companies in the energy sector. So Tom, Tracy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Ryan. Today, we wanted to talk about the current economic uncertainty that's impacting compensation. After decades of relatively stable economic growth and low inflation, the last three years have really felt like a roller coaster for most companies. In 2020, companies had to react to the ramifications of a global pandemic. And then entering into 2022, most of our clients and most companies believed that we were headed into a much more normal year. But within a very short period of time, we have had a war in the Ukraine breakout. We had inflation that started to accelerate. And for most of the year, China was shut down. So now as we enter into 2023 and we're a few months into the year, we're trying to figure out, are we moving into an economic recession? Is inflation going to continue? How do we manage compensation in such an unstable environment? So Tracy, I wanted to start by just really thinking about that current economic uncertainty. I know it affects every industry sector differently, But as you've worked with clients, and particularly in the area of incentive goals, what are some of the initial things that you try to work with to deal with uncertainty? I believe a really good annual incentive program has a high probability that performance is going to fall somewhere on the scale, let's say. So in uncertain times, I encourage my clients to sort of widen the goalpost. Basically, we're trying to increase the likelihood that performance is going to fall within the fairway. You know, it's very challenging when you're setting goals and you don't know what's going to happen. And particularly, say, in a commodity-driven business where there's a lot of volatility. So there's lots of challenges. I think ultimately the goal is to set these goals reasonably so that they don't disincentivize an individual for wanting to achieve something. So it sounds like what we're really talking about is if you think visually of a performance curve, kind of a traditional performance curve with 
target performance in the middle and some sort of level of threshold and maximum. We're wanting to reduce the slope of that curve, essentially make there less sensitivity that if you miss the target or you overachieve less sensitivity in what the payout will be. Absolutely. When I talk about the fairway, I'm pretty much saying you want that performance to have a greater likelihood of falling between that threshold and that maximum goal set. So Tom, how about you? I assume you have similar types of issues you bring up with clients when it comes to goal setting? Absolutely. I agree with Tracy that sort of widening the goalposts, as she said, is an effective approach to dealing with times of uncertainty with regard to goal setting. That said, I think one of the keys is that goal setting in any situation, but especially in uncertain times, really requires some linkage back to the business plan. And I think target goals should have basis probably close to whatever the budget is for the year. The thresholds should align with whatever the downside case is in the budget. And then the maximum goal should correspond to what the upside case is in the budget. And, and what that does is it provides a reality check, if you will, to potential. What can a company actually achieve within the year? And I think that kind of goes along with what Tracy is describing is that you can, in times of uncertainty, there's probably a wider band of potential outcomes. And, and that can be displayed not only through the budgeting process, but also through how you set those goals for the incentive plans. And I assume that playing with things like thresholds and maximums and the slopes of curves is unlikely to get less scrutiny externally than, let's say, moving to you know six-month performance periods or using just complete discretion around paths. So is that your thought also that this is maybe a lower hanging fruit if we're trying to deal with uncertainty? I think that is the case, Ryan. You know, there's a lot of external eyes looking at what companies do these days. And oftentimes they don't always take into full account the context of some of those types of changes. But I think maintaining sort of some basic standards or principles around the incentive plan is important. And I think some of the ideas that you mentioned, sometimes it can allow a company to maybe deviate from those principles to design. Maybe we'll shift into the metrics themselves. So we've talked a little bit about the goal setting, but are there things, Tracy, around the actual metrics that companies might be using in their incentive or changes or tweaks they might want to make specific to the issue of uncertainty and volatility? Yes. I tend to like programs that have a mix of metrics that sort of counterbalance each other. You know, for example, and I'm going to use the commodity industry again. So like, let's take oil and gas. There's huge market swings that they are accustomed to. So I like to see metrics that are commodity price influence. So say cash flow or earnings based metrics counterbalanced with metrics such as cost metrics, or what I'll call commodity neutral metrics, like safety or ESG. I think, you know, having this balance, this push and pull, I'll call it, mm-hmm. helps programs survive when there's an uncertain market environment. Yeah, I think what Tracy's kind of alluding to is almost a little bit of a balanced scorecard type of approach. And I think that's an approach that is indeed probably lends itself more towards periods of uncertainty. And of course, balanced scorecard approach does account for a more holistic assessment of a broader array of metrics. Not all companies like to have 
a lengthy laundry list of metrics with all very small weightings to them. And I think this approach, especially again, in times of uncertainty, allows for that more holistic approach to assess how performance really played out. Have you seen any uptick in recent years in the number of metrics? I know traditionally we talk about two, sometimes three metrics. Have you seen companies add and move more to the scorecard approach or what kind of prevalence are you seeing there? I would say that I have seen a little bit of an increase. I don't see that many companies with only, you know, say two metrics or three metrics. It's a little bit broader array. I think the other thing I've seen is, again, going back to what Tracy mentioned is a more balanced approach to metrics. So in other words, you're not putting such redundant weightings on cash flow and earnings, both of which are typically driven by the same influencing factors, but instead you have some kind of cash flow earnings metric and costs. And again, you get that balance there. And of course, the other set of newer metrics you might say have to do with ESG related topics, which is typically a little less influenced by some of these uncertainties and volatility. So one of the classic ways, of course, it's been around for years to try to adjust for uncertainty is building in kind of pre-built adjustments up front. And you know, many companies will have lists of things that they at least have the ability and sometimes the requirement to adjust for. But that can sometimes get criticism also. What are the right things that companies should be adjusting for? Are there acceptable adjustments? And if there are, what are some of the more common ones you're seeing out there? Yes, there are some adjustments that are acceptable. They typically fall in the categories of M&A, uh, the implications of M&A, foreign exchange impacts, commodity prices, things of that sort that are beyond a, a certain range. You know, as a general matter, I think, as you alluded to, right, you need to be a little bit careful with adjustments because they can attract scrutiny fairly quickly. But I think one practice that I often advise my clients around is establishing on the front end, number one, definitions of the various metrics and whether or not they will entail some kind of adjustment in the fundamental calculation. And then secondly, guiding principles around what will we adjust for and what are sort of the framework for making those adjustments, the, sort of the materiality, the visibility from an external standpoint, things of that nature. I'm going to jump in real quick, Ryan, because I agree with what you were saying, Tom. I think it's so important to be planful upfront in the goal setting process. You know, it helps provide that roadmap for any unexpected events that occurred throughout the year. But I also think it's important to have a portion of your annual bonus program designated to discretion and judgment. I don't think you can predict everything that's going to happen. And leaving room to the committee to qualitatively assess other things, other factors that impacted the results for that year, I think is really important. Because in the end, I mean, I think the goal is to have an annual incentive program that does incentivize management and it meets management's, you know, performance throughout the year, but also aligns with shareholder expectations. I was just going to add very quickly, you know, and I completely agree with Tracy. I think some type of qualitative or discretionary component or feature to an incentive plan, a short-term incentive plan is very valuable, very important. The key with discretion is you have to be disciplined with it. In other words, it has to cut both ways and you have to be transparent about it. And I think that's where Historically, some companies, some industries have been scrutinized because they haven't been disciplined and they haven't been transparent about the exercises. 
Great points. I would agree. I think in the last, particularly the last few years, I've seen more committees, compensation committees, gain comfort with the exercise of at least some discretion. And to your point, Tom, you know, having those adjustments cut both ways. So not only the discretionary adjustments, but even the more you know, quantitative adjustments, that's always a good test is to look back and see, you know, as we've made these adjustments over years, have they cut both ways? If they're continually cutting in one direction, then maybe there's a little bit of bias in how they're being applied. So I want to change directions a little bit and spend just a few minutes maybe talking about long-term incentives because all of the issues of uncertainty, all the goal-setting issues, all of those things that are difficult right now on an annual basis really get multiplied when we have to try to set goals and establish plans that cover multiple years. And I'm sure there are many executives and board members that are tuned into the podcast that probably are working with companies right now that have one or maybe multiple years of long-term incentives that are you know, underwater, that are so below from a performance perspective that they have very little opportunity of ever having a payout. And so I'm going to ask you about the M word, Tom, modifications. You know, It's something that many companies try to avoid modifying a grant, modifying the goals of a grant in the middle of the award. But is you know, in this current environment, is there ever a time where a modification is something that is a valid consideration? I would say there's always some situations that may warrant modifications as a consideration and have such actions be executed. But in my view, and my guidance to clients is tread carefully. There are significant implications of modifying long-term awards, and they come in both accounting and disclosure implications, both of which have ripple effects, you might say. You know, and an example of the rare occurrences of modifications to long-term awards have to do with just looking back at the COVID year, 2020 and 2021 in particular, a very small minority, less than 10% of companies, according to some studies that we've done, less than 10% of companies actually intervened and modified in-cycle long-term incentive awards. Now, with subsequent awards, there were a number of cases, I think we all observed, where changes were made to the next year's grant. And again, they fall into what we've already talked about a little bit in terms of widening the goal range, things of that nature. Um, again, I think because of the implications of the modifications and how the outside world views them and just the fundamental principled approach of what long-term incentives are intended to do, I think it's a very rare occurrence. And again, companies need to really be careful to go in with an eyes wide open approach. Yeah, I think clearly you have to proceed with caution. You know, that being said, at the end of the day, the compensation committee, of course, has to do what they believe is the best path forward from a fiduciary responsibility to investors. In some cases, that may mean taking some heat for decisions like modifications. So let's dive a little bit more into the long-term incentive side. You know, we, we spent a fair amount of time talking about some mitigating practices, things like flattening the performance curve and other things around incentives. I assume a lot of those same principles apply to long-term incentives, but are any other particular approaches that you like to focus on with a multi-year incentive? Yeah. You know, Ryan, some companies take the approach, especially during periods of uncertainty, they take the approach of changing the measurement period. In other words, you know, sort of the standard three-year measurement period is modified, not modified, perhaps changed to maybe a two-year period or three one-year periods. And that's a very common approach in times of uncertainty. There are obviously implications of doing that. One of them being that the question is asked, is this really a long-term incentive plan? And there's ways, again, that you can 
design the structure of even a shortened performance period to sort of extend the sort of game, if you will. And then there's obviously some disclosure considerations. Shareholders and the proxy advisors don't look favorably on those types of plans, provided they're not just a short-term in nature and that. So, Ryan, I have a client who struggled with setting three-year goal and their long-term plan, and they were trying to mitigate some of the risk. They were really trying to de-escalate some of the risk in their long-term program. So they kept half their program with relative TSR, but this absolute metric that they were trying to set, they were really struggling with. They ended up with a two-year cash flow metric, which seems to be working well for them at this point. They felt reasonably comfortable that they could set a goal two years out, but three years was just too far for them. And then they kind of had a unique twist on their program design, all in the vein of trying to moderate the uncertainty in the environment. So anytime during this two-year period, if they hit threshold or target performance goals, they sort of earn those performance units right then and locked in at the current stock price. Now, they didn't actually receive that till the end of the two-year period, but in locking in the price and actually earning those awards, they eliminated the risk of forfeiture and they eliminated any future stock price performance on those awards. It helped during a really volatile time to give people some certainty in, you know, what they might achieve. I will say though, Ryan, you know, one thing that we need to all be mindful of when we're dealing with times of uncertainty, and as you mentioned at the outset, there, there's been over the last two or three years, some extreme uncertainty due to a number of world events and economic situations. But at the end of the day, goals and incentive plans should be managed in a manner where you're aligning executives with shareholders. And that's especially the case with long-term incentives. The objective is not exclusively to be in the money and always create a payout. And I think that's an important thing. Now, there's a balance there because obviously you don't want to always be out of the money because then you create retention concerns. But I think ultimately, again, long-term incentive plans really need to be focused on how do we align executives with shareholders. Oh, excellent point. If it's truly going to be paid for performance, there's going to be ups and downs. That's how performance goes. So excellent point. Well, I'm sure we could spend much, much more time. All of the different points that you've made, we could probably spend a whole podcast really dissecting some of the designs and strategies that could be considered if you will go down those various paths. But clearly challenging times. These are important issues. And I'm certain we'll continue to engage on these issues over the course of this year. But Tracy and Tom, it was a pleasure having you on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you, Ron. Great. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Executive Compensation Podcast. You can see more about this episode along with additional executive compensation insights at meridiancp.com. That's meridian, the letter C, and the letter P.com. This episode is brought to you by Meridian Compensation Partners. Meridian works with compensation committees to ensure the most effective processes are in place to go beyond mere compliance with governance requirements and create healthy, dynamic relationships between the board, management, and its advisors.
Meridian helps boards use compensation to attract and retain critical talent and to make informed business decisions that will link pay and performance, drive business results, increase shareholder value, and mitigate potential risks. Learn more at meridiancp.com.